The era of infrared laser comms for space is upon us. The era of infrared laser comms for space is upon us. You're listening to Technical News Reading, presented by Hakim Alibokis Alexander on the Call-In app, Social Podcasting, presented for World Reading Club in association with Uniquilibrium. This edition's reading focus comes to us from Laser Focus World under the category of Optics on LaserFocusWorld.com and is titled The Era of Infrared Laser Comms for Space is Upon Us. NASA's Laser Communications Relay Demonstration LCRD project is currently putting optical communications to the test in space via a two-way infrared laser relay system. Written by Sally Cole Johnson, Senior Technical Editor at Laser Focus World, on November 9th, 2022. More data bandwidth, faster speeds, decreased size, weight, power, and costs. Flexibility. Getting away from the overcrowded radio frequency RF spectrum. These are merely a handful of benefits infrared lasers and optical links can bring to transmitting information to and from spacecraft. On December 7, 2021, NASA's LCRD project launched into geosynchronous orbit 22,000 miles above Earth, hosted aboard the U.S. Department of Defense's Space Test Program Satellite 6. The goal? Test the capabilities of laser communications as an alternative to radio waves which have been used for space communications since the beginning of space exploration. After many years of people predicting optical comms was the way things are going in the future, we're now in the era of it's here, says David Israel, Laser Communications Relay Demonstration Principal Investigator for NASA at Goddard Space Flight Center. Optical comms is past the phase of being a technology that may be possible. Laser comms. Why infrared lasers? Infrared beams can pack data into significantly tighter waves than RF systems, which means ground stations can receive more data in one downlink. Optical comms involves sending a narrow beam from one location pointed directly at a receiver in another location and an optical communication telescope's pointing must be extremely precise to reach its target, especially if it's thousands or even millions of miles away.
Optical comms involves sending a narrow beam from one location pointed directly at a receiver in another location and an optical communications telescopes pointing must be extremely precise to reach its target, especially if it's thousands or even millions of miles away. The LCRD payload is attached to a support assembly flight, LSAF, which serves as the backbone for LCRD's components. It has a star tracker and two optical modules to generate the infrared lasers that transmit data to and from Earth and modems to encode data into laser signals attached to the backside of the LSAF. LCRD's two independent optical communications terminals each have their own optical module or telescope that's 10 centimeters in diameter. Repeating, LCRD's two independent optical communications terminals each have their own optical module or telescope that's 10 centimeters in diameter. They're each connected to their own modem, explains Israel. There's also a bit of controller electronics involved, too. A computer system is connected to the optical module that does the most difficult part, the acquisition and the tracking, because narrow laser beams make it challenging. The two optical communications terminals can each do their own bi-directional link to something on the other side. And a switch between the two terminals allows the data to be switched to go from one terminal to another. There's also a bi-directional RF link that the data can be switched to if necessary so it gets sent down to White Sands, New Mexico. We're demonstrating the ability to do relay links, optical links, designed to send data to and from a user in orbit, which then gets relayed down to Earth, he says. We use radio frequency as a backup if the clouds or space junk are bad and we can't get the data down. Although the optical relay is expected to help NASA reach higher data rates, the most significant part of our mission is to get these links to work through the atmosphere, deal with weather effects, and get down to the ground station, says Israel. We're working to demonstrate and understand how to communicate through the atmosphere as best we can when it's not cloudy. And when it is cloudy, to be able to predict and determine when to switch to a different ground station and to understand all of these operational concerns. Later in its mission, LCRD will serve as a relay between an optical communications terminal on the International Space Station, ISS, and ground stations. 
You're listening to Technical News Reading, presented by Hakeem Alibokis Alexander on Call In, the social podcasting app presented for World Reading Club in association with Uniquilibrium. Laser-focused world continues. Gaining operational experience. A Lunar Laser Communications Demonstration LLCD project flew to the moon in 2013, and it proved a laser comms system could be built to survive launch and operate in space and do all of the pointing and tracking through the lunar orbit and the atmosphere and weather down to Earth. But it was a short-lived experiment because part of the mission for the LADEE spacecraft, LADY spacecraft, orbiting the moon was for it to crash into the moon and make measurements of lunar dust, says Israel. We proved the technology, but we didn't get that much operational experience from it. So we have years, decades of experience communicating to and from space using RF links, and it's sort of built into how we design and operate systems. NASA doesn't yet have operational experience for optical links. So a key part of the LCRD technology demonstration mission is to gain it before using optical comms for an operational science or exploration application. So far, they've established there's a certain point at which it's too cloudy to talk to the ground station or if space junk is in the way. But a key question now is how well NASA can predict when it's going to become too cloudy and plan in advance to switch to a different ground station and how many ground stations are needed. Repeating, but a key question now is how well NASA can predict when it's going to become too cloudy and plan in advance to switch to a different ground station and how many ground stations are needed. Benefits of optical comms. The first optical comms benefit most people tend to think of is achieving higher data rates. It provides more bandwidth to move data. One of the real benefits for space missions is that exchange data rate because for optical comms involves a smaller wavelength than the radio frequency systems, says Israel. Decreasing size, weight, power, and costs are also big benefits. It turns out the size of the telescopes involved in space and on the ground are much smaller than the size required for an RF link, says Israel. This reduces size, weight, and power, which is important on the spacecraft side to being able to build and launch it, but also on the ground side. 
using a one meter telescope as opposed to an 18 meter large steel antenna really reduces the cost on the ground side to build and operate the systems. Optical comms also provides the flexibility to switch to radio frequency whenever necessary, which of course comes in handy when weather or space junk aren't cooperating. And getting away from RF spectrum overcrowding and interference issues is another huge benefit of optical comms. Repeat. And getting away from RF spectrum overcrowding and interference issues is another huge benefit of optical comms. More NASA optical comms projects in the works. While NASA isn't quite ready to share in-depth details about LCRD's performance, repeating, while NASA isn't quite ready to share in-depth details about LCDR's performance, results and a paper should hopefully be ready in spring of 2023. There have been cases where the link has performed a little better than expected through the atmosphere. We're still refining our models and starting to see things we're hoping to see from computer and lab-based models, says Israel. We're seeing some performance that's different than the predictions. In 2022, a project called Terabyte Infrared Delivery, T-Bird, launched to showcase the high data rate capabilities of laser communications from a CubeSat within low Earth orbit. T-Bird is about the size of a small lunchbox and will demonstrate its downlink at 200 gigabits, which is much faster than possible in radio frequency. It's also 200 times faster than LCRD and more than 100 times faster than the highest fiber optic internet speeds. These data rates will enable T-Bird to download, to downlink, repeating. These data rates will enable T-Bird to downlink large amounts of data in bursts as it passes over optical ground stations. NASA also has an upcoming launch in 2023 of a payload called Illuma-T, short for Integrated LCRD Low Earth Orbit User Modem and Amplifier Terminal, which will fly aboard the International Space Station. It will gather data and send it to LCRD at 1.2 gigabits. Once operational, LCRD and Illumina and Illuma T repeat, once operational, LCRD and Illuma T will be the first fully operational end-to-end -end laser comms system. In 2024, the Orion Artemis II Optical Communication System O2O will take laser comms to the moon aboard NASA's Orion spacecraft during the Artemis II mission. It's expected to transmit high-resolution images and video and will be the first crewed 
lunar flight to demonstrate laser comms, sending data to Earth at a downlink rate as much as 260 megabits. But that's not all. NASA plans to boldly take optical comms into deep space and is currently working on a future terminal to explore how laser comms will fare against extreme distances and pointing constraints. You've been listening to Laser Focus World Reading for Technical News Reading, presented by Hakim Alibokis Alexander on the Colin app. Social podcasting, presented for World Reading Club in association with Uniquilibrium. Written by Sally Cole Johnson and published on November 9th, 2022, this edition's reading focus from laserfocusworld.com was titled The Era of Infrared Laser Comms for Space is Upon Us. Welcome. All right, hello, Loki and Prad. Uh, If you guys have any questions or discussion, let me know. Otherwise, I will be ending the room and moving on. Greetings, Loki. Hey, Akeem, what's going on? Hey, this and that. I'm here doing my uh, technical news reading so I can learn some more about what's happening in uh, our scientific uh, communities. What's going on with you, brother? How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right as well. Yeah, just uh, chilling on a rainy day over here. Is uh, so what? What year was it? I came a little bit later. What year? What year was this published? And how long has this technology been developing for? This was published today, actually. Okay. And, and by senior senior technical editor at uh, her name is uh, uh, Sally Johnson, I believe, at LaserFocusWorld.com. Um, Yes, Sally Cole Johnson, that's correct. And do you have any idea how long they've been developing this in the private or public sector? Yeah, they've been, it seems like a couple of years. I know that they had launched something in 2021 as a test, as it said in the article. Um, They also launched, uh, so in order to gain operational experience, they launched a lunar laser communications demonstration project to the moon in 2013. So... This has been at least a decade, almost so far, um, that they've been working on this. So they've had to gain operational experience first. They haven't gotten a whole lot of operational experience because um, the part of the mission was for the the spacecraft um, called LADEE, L-A-D-E-E, orbiting the moon, was to crash into the moon and make measurements of lunar dust. So um, it didn't last too long for operational experience because it crashed intentionally. I see. So they they're not they're not relying on precise soft landings at the at this moment. Not yet, but they do want to send a manned um it's going to have a crewed uh uh mission pretty soon. Um I think that it's by 2024 is when they're going they're planning on having a crewed mission, but let me just 
continue to let me just double check that 2023 2022 let's see um so yeah in 2024 the orion artemis 2 optical communication system will take laser comms to the moon aboard nasa's orion spacecraft during the artemis 2 mission it's expected to transmit high-resolution images and video and will be the first crewed lunar flight to demonstrate laser comms, sending data to Earth at a downlink rate as much as 260 megabits. Yeah, so there it goes. And also, if you'd like to look megabits at it... Megabits per second or per minute? Yes, that's, that's correct. You know, I didn't okay. read that in even the reading, but yes, megabits per second, 200 megabits okay. per second. Yeah. Okay. And, that's, uh, that's pretty fast. I, I imagine with like the align, the precise alignment of lasers between planets, like you have to, like you the I don't know, you would need something either to align the signal to you know the thing that's receiving it, not not um what do you call it, be able to distinguish between the signal and other interfering lights, forms of light or radiation. Or you would have to kind of catch it in a larger satellite array and like use computers or algorithms to kind of digest all the data and pinpoint the signal. But it's, it, I guess if it goes, if it just keeps going fast and repeating, then you don't, you know, you don't need that long to, uh, what do you call it, receive the signal. Right. But yeah. Then, they were, go ahead. yeah, the, the article did uh, mention a lot of, uh, some of that about specifically getting around space dust and also space junk and different types of things floating around out there and atmospheric conditions changing as well. So they are addressing some of those issues. And um, like, uh, like was mentioned in the article, they don't yet have a whole lot of operational experience yet. So that's what they're intending on getting. And it's going to be a first crewed mission, uh, just um, under two under two years here. Actually, yeah, just a little over a year actually, because it's 2024. Well, who says? I don't know exactly when in 2024. So it could very well be two years because it could be December. Let's see. Did I read that? Did you catch that? Let's see. Um, yeah. I'm just. No, it just says in 2024. So the link is here. I did double up on the links. It's in the link bar, and it's also the first link of the article that's in the description here. So you can look over that yourself as well. Okay, thanks. So moving forward, I'm going to be doing a lot more of these technical readings, and I'll be making sure that the reading, the link where everyone can read the the same article, if they wanted to do a read-along, would also be right at the top there is the first link prominent in the description so that um, we can have easy access to this. All right. What is your interest in in this, Loki? Are you, do you just have a general interest in all things science or specifically space? Yeah, I do. I do have an interest in all things science or or, you know, relevant, you know, no matter, you know, whether physical sciences, mental, you know, old, old sciences from other cultures. Did you make a, mm. did you make a rocket ship sound? That was not me, but there is a, no, well, there are, I'm, I'm near, uh, I'm in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I'm very close to um, these jet bases and they're constantly flying and doing maneuvers 
where I am. And I'm cur currently in my dojo where I teach self-defense and martial arts fitness. And it's at Powerhouse Boxing and Kickboxing. And there are jets. There's a, there's a, a jet base very close by, and it's very noisy. Do, do you teach... Do you teach to the soldiers or Marines or airmen or whatever that go by there? No, but actually it was suggested to me by a, um, recently by a special forces, uh, personnel, um, unofficially that I should teach, uh, something, uh, that I call, uh, stoic, which is, um, which is, uh, synchronized, total, organically induced calm. And because he thinks, seems to think that I'm supremely calm and that it's something that uh, his fellow brethren and special forces could learn from. I've also unofficially in the past uh, trained with military and former military personnel, but I, I, as far as I know, I've never done it under official capacity. I see. I'm a little bit against too, like, too far in that direction of a philosophy, especially for martial arts or any type of like any type of activity where you need a high amount of awareness like you do want to be calm but you don't want you don't want to be too calm you need the the fear is information and you need to be able to receive the information in an accurate way but not like so much that it exaggerates and makes you afraid and makes you do the wrong thing you know what i mean it is it is information but we have to uh, understand from the perspective specifically as i teach it and as i as i operate is not that there's no response it's that the external response is controlled in the same amount of time so let's look at it, it basically like a um if this then that algorithm the human body works in a similar way. So we have programmed responses of fear that we act upon when something happens, right? So let's say there's, there's an explosion, right? And most people will duck and cover and, and just and fall down or scream or whatever immediately because that's the response. It just happens. It shocks their body. Now, that's a, a response that your, your body does in, in order to survive. Your, right. your main... So your main processing is to survive. Now, hold right. on for a it moment. It depends on so, our foreknowledge too. But, oh, sorry. Right, but, yeah, so hold on for a moment. So sure. that's one, that's exactly it. You're, you're right. It depends on our foreknowledge. But for most people who have no training or no foreknowledge, just imagine it's the first time they've experienced an explosion or even know what it is. They're going to have some automatic pre-programmed response, right? So what, what we do and what training in Stoic does is it simply rehearses various different responses in a very casual way or sometimes a very a very formal way you can sit down and imagine some rehearsed response to any particular stimulus like an explosion over and over again and so that you have the option to choose from one of those responses but what happens you install it and it becomes just as immediately automatic as that other one that that wasn't uh, program before so you go from what you do is we we have unconscious responses that we that our body produces from our sub from unconscious nervous system in response to things that happen and then we can make them subconscious responses which are still we don't have to think about them but they're they become subconscious because we now have planted them intentionally and so it's exactly yes i understand what you're saying um everything is based on prior experience but like how special forces and the secret service for example 
Um, you, you know, I use this this, this uh, example often. A person jumped in front of uh, President Ronald Reagan when he was being shot at. Now that had to be practiced because normally people don't do that. So these all can be programmed responses. Yeah. I forgot why I started talking about that because this is away from space exploration. Yeah, because we were talking about what you were doing in Pensacola, Florida, with the Jets oh, and teaching <laughs> martial arts to the to the military the soldiers. The right, and actually, I'm there. so actually, I'm just in, gonna... in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Virginia, okay. Yeah, there's a lot of military activity there too. But um, I was gonna say, yeah, but there's always a bridge there. You know, and not just your plan, but in any sort of, you know, formal learning, uh, you know, even, especially militarily, because militarily you can give everybody kind of the the preparation and foreknowledge as much as you can. But like when the real scenarios hit, like it increases your, your chances of handling a real scenario, but it's it's not a guarantee. You know what I mean? We, yeah. we don't all and you know, know what's underneath in our subconscious. And when that comes, it comes. And that's the Mike Tyson saying, like, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And in war, you get punched in the face in other ways. You know what I mean? Right. And But you can still override that. He makes a good point. But from a person who has a lot of fighting experience and also experience in urban combat, specifically being shot at and things crashing and exploding around me, uh, yes, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face, literally, figuratively, and otherwise, but your training still matters a whole lot. Um, and what that has to, what's interesting about that is that that's one of the things that was spoken of in this article in a different way, and it's called operational experience. And so that's one of the things that happens. The more that you are in fights, the more that you are in combat zones, and the more that you do live fire exercises, you can, in fact, replace that getting punched in the face surprise uh, um, out of the way. So you know that's what? operational. Definitely. Operational experience. And I think one of the processes that happens there is you go from like thinking that you're going to succeed because you're sent because of your trust in your sensei or your teacher, coach, whatever, your trust in the institution, the lineage of your martial arts these kind of external things. But once you're in the fight or in the harsh experience or high stress, high stakes, whatever type of experience, and you do a good job and then your trust starts to move into a trust for yourself rather than a trust for the external thing that you kind of learned. Cause that's, that's still part of it. And you needed that as a tool, but unless you can, you know, you know how to operate yourself as a, as a being and as uh, I don't know, it's, it feels wrong to say, but you know, operate yourself and with all your tools of your mind, of your body and everything, mm. then it's kind of like, it's hard to interface with new tools. You know what I mean? Sure. So yeah, like gaining that trust in yourself is like the, I guess the, the biggest power that, you know, no matter what style or this or that you take, that's something exactly. you have to teach yourself. Well, it comes back down, you're speaking some fundamental principles, like the, say at the Oracle at Delphi says, know thyself. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up unless you have any other comments, because I'm going to be doing many more technical news readings today and moving forward. Yeah, I could, I could go on for a while, but um, maybe, yeah, if you see anything like that looks really experimental, because this seems, 
this seems really like a, like a good technology, an advanced technology, but it's kind of like, it feels, it feels more commercial. You know, it's basically like a, like a diode or a, um, what do you call that? A sense, a, a sensor in a way. It's still like advanced parts of the machines, but they're kind of like, they're, they're a dime a dozen in, within machinery, but it's, like, I don't know, just anything sounds crazier a little bit. Like, I, I saw an article about a uh, a, um, a uh, cloaking fabric that, that's been developed with nanotechnology. Yes. So, well, there are definitely going to be some, some very interesting things coming through. A lot of the stuff that you'll see in the readings I'll be doing, specifically from Laser Focus World, techbriefs.com, and uh, those two specifically, there are a lot of stuff that are going to seem like science fiction. There's a lot of really advanced uh, technology, specifically in communications and uh, space survival that are coming out. So you'll be seeing okay. those soon. I'll keep my eye out for it. All right. Thank you for joining me, Loki, and for your insight and for your questions. I always appreciate you, brother. I uh, appreciate you too, man. All right. Have a good one. Take care. Take it easy. All right. You've been listening to Technical News Reading on the Call-In app, Social Podcasting, presented by yours truly, Hakeem Alibokis Alexander, for World Reading Club in association with Uniquilibrium. This article's and this edition's reading focus was called The Era of Infrared Laser Comms for Space is Upon Us, published by Senior Technical Editor, editor Sally Cole-Johnson, on laserfocusworld.com. If you'd like to reach out to Sally, uh, Sally Cole Johnson on laserfocusworld.com, you can email her at s-a-l-l-y-j at e-n-d-e-a-v-o-r-b number two b dot c-o-m. That's Sally J at endeavorb2b.com or call 603-891-9221. Let's talk a little bit more about Sally Cole Johnson, since this is the first time I believe I'm reading an article from her. Her brief bio states, Sally Cole Johnson has worked as a writer for over 20 years, covering physics, semiconductors, electronics, artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, IoT, optics, photonics, high-performance computing, IT networking and security, neuroscience, and military embedded systems. She served as an associate editor for Laser Focus World in the early 2000s and rejoined the editorial team as senior technical editor in January 2022. Welcome back. Sally Cole Johnson.